4: You to get up right now and go to the window, open it and stick your head out and yell. I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not
5: allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war.
6: feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
7: Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting you're out of
6: order you're out of order the whole trial is out of order you have
4: meddled with the primal forces of nature
2: This is your mad prophet of the airwaves and welcome to Radio Free Canada. News notes and opinions from the underground for Tuesday, May the 24th. Hey, great news. Everyone around the station very excited with the uh, the big news that Saga 960 will be carrying the CFL Hamilton Tiger Cat games uh, this summer and fall. Uh, assuming they get the uh, the labor issue resolved. Fingers crossed on that one. But I believe there's a, a preseason game scheduled for this Saturday. So we shall see. You know, whenever I'm asked by American friends and listeners to explain the differences between Canadians and Americans. I always reference the CFL. The difference between the Canadians and Americans really comes down to three things. So I say to my my American friends, you have four downs, we have three. You celebrate Thanksgiving in November, we celebrate it in October. And finally, and most importantly, you buy your milk in jugs, we buy our milk in bags. That's it. That's it. So, uh, I'm okay, if you want to be a real stickler about it, they have a Second Amendment. They get to play with guns. I wish we had a Second Amendment. Uh, I wish you were, or I hope, rather, I hope you were all able to ride out that horrible storm on a Saturday. Ten lives lost across Ontario, Quebec. We tend to think of these types of deadly storms in places like Texas and Oklahoma, but in, in southwestern Ontario... I know it was three days ago, but I was off yesterday. I, was, uh, I wasn't on the air live yesterday. So I hope you all uh, enjoyed the best of the Richard Serrett presentation. And uh, I was actually caught in the middle of that storm. I was coming back from Elmira in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, driving south on Highway 85. When the skies opened up and the wind kicked up 140 kilometers an hour, there were large branches blowing across the highway in front of me. And I'm creeping along with my hazard lights on. The wipers, of course, can't keep up with the rain. And a tree, an entire tree came down across one line or one lane of Highway 85 going southbound. That's what I call white knuckle driving. Pretty nerve wracking. I'm still holding onto the steering wheel. Couldn't get that out of my hands. Uh, But I was sure I was going to get hit by flying debris or a tree. But I made it home. The power was out at my place. In Thornhill for a few hours and the next day we had power, but most of my neighbors, most of my street did not. Lots of uh, trees and wooden fences down in the neighborhood. So it was a rather inauspicious beginning to the holiday long weekend, to say the least. Meanwhile, meanwhile, a, a bunch of really creepy people are meeting in Davos, Switzerland for the annual World Economic Forum. It's incredible to me these elites don't even try and hide their agenda. I've said it a dozen times on this program. It bears repeating. The goals and objectives of the World Economic Forum are not aligned with ours here in Canada or the West or any Western liberal democracy. Have a listen to this guy. Uh, his, uh, his name is J. Michael evans He's president of the Alibaba Group, which is a Chinese multinational tech company specializing in e-commerce, retail, and internet technology. We're developing
8: through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Hmm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet,
2: but this is something that we're working on. Ah, but it's voluntary, right? Sure. A Chinese tech company developing a voluntary carbon footprint tracking device. Pound sand, you creep. I mean, listen to these people talk. They sound so happy and pleasant, like they actually believe they're the good guys. Voluntary. Sure, it will be. Sure. Here's another piece of work. This is Julie Inman Grant. She's Australia's e-safety commissioner.
8: We are finding ourselves in a place um, where we're we have increasing polarization everywhere and everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be. So I think we're going to have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online, you know, from freedom of speech to the freedom to, you know, to be free from on- online violence or the uh, right of data protection to the right to child dignity
2: recalibration of a whole range of human rights she says and she says it so casually yep we have to recalibrate a whole range of human rights that are playing out online again pound sand you absolute spoon you don't get to recalibrate human rights human rights are inviolable freedom of speech comes from god not from some insufferable soulless bureaucrat like you And I'm sure the Canadian delegation in attendance are listening to these creeps and nodding their heads in approval. They're over there in Davos quietly betraying us. And next door in Geneva betraying us some more as they empower the World Health Organization to further undermine our national sovereignty. And while the lamestream media in this country continue to label anyone who dares to raise a voice against the WEF and the WHO as conspiracy theorists. Someone on Twitter the other day tweeted that it's time to refer to these WEF creeps as constitutional terrorists. If you're an elected representative in this country and you have an allegiance to the WEF, you are committing treason. Full stop. Treason. All right. Uh, busy show for you today. Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired, will be uh, here to respond to comments by Henry Kissinger, Uh, Over at the WEF, who says Ukraine may have to be bullied into making some territorial concessions to the Russians. Uh, I'll revisit an earlier conversation with conservative leadership hopeful Roman Babber. Uh, Are vaccine mandates going away? Sheila Gunn-Reed of Rebel News says uh, she doesn't believe so, and she's got 100 million reasons Brad Skistamus, aka Five Times August, has a new single out, and he'll be here to perform it live in the second hour. Our homeschool advisor, Ruth Gaskovski, is here to announce a new Freedom Short Story Contest. And uh, the most powerful evidence yet that mRNA vaccines hurt long-term immunity to COVID after infection is out. Dr. Peter McCullough will be here this hour. And uh, Tom Korski from BlackLock's Reporter will be here. To talk about a, um, well, the liberal government has replaced the old colonial structure, they call it, known as the Department of Indian Affairs, with two new departments, which spent 80% more, hired another 1,600 people, and still has nothing to show for it. Uh, but first, it's another edition of Meet Your Provincial Candidates, another NDP candidate today, this time for the riding of Mississauga Center. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Tuesday, May 24th. Facta and non verba.
8: We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right. We are uh, anxiously awaiting the arrival
2: of uh, Sarah Walgie, who is running for uh, the uh, NDP in Mississauga Center. This is part of our ongoing series, Meet Your Provincial Candidates. And uh, this is one of the few times in the show where I actually keep my big fat mouth shut. And uh, I'm just kind of being a, a nonpartisan and uh, allow for the uh, the various candidates from all the various parties across the GTA to introduce themselves and tell you why they're running and tell you a little bit about uh, the issues they believe are important to their particular riding. And uh, do we have Sarah Walge with us? Yes, we do. Sarah Walgi from uh, NDP. Welcome. How are you?
9: Thank you so much and great. How are you? Apologies for the delay in getting in. I had some logistical issues.
2: That's all right. It's just, it's live radio. We roll with it. So uh, tell us, uh, for those not familiar with Mississauga Center, what are roughly the boundaries of that riding?
9: Yeah, so it's kind of a cookie cutter riding, right? So it's been, it's kind of been a recent riding. um, Just put together in the last couple of, of election cycles, if I'm not mistaken. I know that I previously run. Um, but we're going along the Credit River, and then we're going up to here, Ontario, and then certain parameters kind of cross to just before the Mississauga-Malton line, which is up Bristol, Eglinton-ish area, and then down towards Lake Trillium.
2: All right. And Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're running in Mississauga Centre, What what is your connection to the riding, and why do you feel you'd be a great uh, candidate for a great MPP? Yeah. Sorry.
9: yeah. Um, so basically, I'm a registered nurse. I have grown up within Mississauga my entire life. I have literally been to school in almost every riding and area possible um, or worked within the jurisdiction of the Mississauga boundaries in every riding in some capacity. Um, so Mississauga is near and dear to my heart. Obviously, currently still living here. So it's, it's amazing to give back to the community in that way. Um, being a nurse, I've seen firsthand what the pandemic has done to a lot of us and how it's impacted a lo- of a number of local services in addition to just individuals that walk in and they need accessibility. So I do mental health nursing. So basically, I really get um, an on-the-ground picture from people that do approach and utilize the services, and I also do public health work. So I've seen the way that the pandemic has hit them and shaped them um, a lot more so for the worse than for the better. And the concerns that they've expressed with the current government and the current um, issues that come up within their lives. So I think it's beneficial that I've had that frontline experience and that that's a means of giving back to the community and this means of application for that.
2: All right. So, um, mental health, which of, of course is vitally important, and, and hospitals aside, can you think of, um, would you like to talk about one more issue that you think is important to the, uh, the good people of Mississauga Center?
9: Yeah, for sure, affordability, and that's something that's near and dear to me as well, because I don't know if um, if any people are familiar, but I'm about 27. So I'm quite novice in terms of the world of trying to enter into the real estate market and whatnot, So I know firsthand how student loans, in conjunction with just cost of living, in conjunction with trying to manage personal expenses and personal lives and whatnot, Um being somebody that might be a single income versus a dual income, precipitators like that, that make affordability quite limited in terms of what you're able to um, access, especially within, <coughs> excuse me, within the boundaries of Mississauga Center, where we do notice that there is quite a significant cost of living.
2: All right. Sarah Walge running for the NDP in Mississauga Center. Sarah, great to meet you. Best of luck in the upcoming election. Thank you for this.
9: Pleasure to be here with you. Thank you again for the time.
2: All righty. And we'll, we'll keep the, uh, this segment, Meet Your Provincial Candidates, going at least until the end of May. All right, coming up next, according to Parliamentary Budget Office figures obtained by our, our good friends at Black Locks Reporter, the Liberal government replaced the old Department of Indian Affairs with two new departments. And get this, they spent 80% more, hired another 1,600 people. What do they have to show for it? Tom Korski from Black Locks Reporter is next with this story. Stay with us.
8: Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show.
2: So Justin Trudeau's liberals got rid of the old Department of Indian Affairs because that was a colonial structure. We couldn't have that. Instead, they replaced it with two new departments. They spend about 80% more. They hired about 1,630 additional people. But what do they have to show for it? Tom Korsky is here, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Richard. And I'm, I'm guessing you're here with some really good news. They've spent 80% more. They hired 1,600 more people, but now they can provide clean drinking water to all of the uh, indigenous people across the country. Isn't that right?
3: Exactly, Richard. This you know, and anyone who ever tells you that this money buys happiness, there you go. They almost double the spending. They're up to over twenty one billion a year. And they you still can't drink the tap water. And the high school dropout rate is still fifty percent or worse in my home province. It's it's past 70 percent at First Nation schools. It's unbelievable. But what they did is they have a payroll of federal employees in Ottawa that's now 8,300 people. Wow.
2: 21 billion dollars a year they spend on this on this file. 21 billion and they have nothing to show for it.
3: When uh, the prime minister got rid of, as you mentioned, the old Department of Indian Affairs—that's only five years ago—colonial structure. This was going to be new and therefore better. Spending on the day that he got rid of the old department and turned it into two departments was twelve point one billion. These are budget office figures we requested. Twelve point one billion. What is it today? Twenty-one point seven billion dollars. It almost doubled.
2: My word. And uh, so the uh, Indian Affairs Department was replaced with two uh, departments. What are these two new departments? What are they and how do they up the responsibilities?
3: They are Indigenous Services. That's the boiling water crowd and Crown Indigenous Relations, which is the sort of the constitutional crowd where you uh, have nation to nation, they call it, nation to nation relations between cabinet and and the Assembly of First Nations, the Inuit, and the Métis. Two departments, total payroll, Uh, 8,300. You know, that's almost as many people as there are in the Department of Agriculture. Uh, Richard, seriously, and they were told at the time there were senators, well-meaning people, very sympathetic to First Nations and indigenous claims, who said this better not be a scheme to build a fat bureaucracy, (laughs) and that's exactly what they got.
2: Hmm. Uh, and you, you report here, Tom, that one of the two new departments was supposed to be short lived. Which one was that?
3: That was supposed to be Indigenous services, which is runs the schools. Why can't First Nations run their own schools, which runs the water plant? Why can't First Nations run their own water plants? This was supposed to be, in theory, a department that put itself out of business. Well, Don't you want to bet? Five years later, it's running red hot. They've never had more employees. They've never spent more money.
2: Uh, What a boondoggle. Not surprisingly. I mean, we have, you know, gun registries that are supposed to cost a couple million. They end up costing a couple billion. Uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Um, So, uh, I mean, are there are there any parliamentary uh, hearings
3: overseeing this
2: and and what are they recommending or, or, you know, what's what's to come of
3: this? This came out of in particular, there was a Senate uh, National Finance Committee that was. Had cautioned on costs in the day. There's no question this will come up when they go through budget appropriations, but you nailed it, Richard. You know what is the most striking part of this is how predictable it was. You didn't have to be amazing, Kreskin, five years ago. I can give you the names of MPs and senators from all parties that said, don't do it. Just telling you right now what's going to happen. And it, it was exactly like the gun registry. That's exactly what happened. Look for cost overruns. Look for more hiring. Look for fewer results. You will pay more and get less. That's the Ottawa way.
2: Hmm. I guess we would have been or not we uh, Well, taxpayers, I guess, would have been better uh, under the old colonial structure of the uh, Department of Indian Affairs. I mean, it sounds like it was uh, it was uh, run in a a, a far more efficient manner, uh, you know, even though it didn't get much done, at least at least the spending wasn't totally out of control.
3: (laughs) They spent nine billion less. It was the budget office itself. That's not partisan. It was the budget office who said taxpayers got no net results, let alone First Nations on reserve, Inuit or Métis. They everyone paid more for fewer proportional results. Where is the plus nine billion worth of benefits when you can't drink the tap water mm. and your kids can't go to the school? That's where we are. It's a, it's a tragic state of affairs.
2: Tom, thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. Tom Korsky, managing editor, Blacklocks reporter. Please support independent media, blacklocks.ca, blacklocks.ca. All right. The, uh, the most powerful evidence yet that mRNA vaccines hurt long term immunity to COVID after infection. Now, this is a study, a bombshell study from the National Institute of Health, no less, and Moderna. Dr. Peter McCullough is uh, next with that story. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Tuesday, May 24th. Stay
8: with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM.
2: Welcome back a bombshell study it's being heralded a bombshell study from the National Institutes of Health and Moderna, no less The findings that the most powerful evidence yet suggests mRNA vaccines hurt long-term immunity to COVID after infection Dr. Peter McCullough, board-certified cardiologist and a host of the McCullough Report podcast joins us now Dr. McCullough, welcome back, how are you?
10: Thank you, good so the um the the
2: difference between um having a mild or a moderate or a severe COVID infection, uh does that does that matter if you're unvaccinated? Is there any difference in terms of immunity?
10: You know, it, what really matters uh clinically is hospitalization or death. But someone who's been unvaccinated They do get uh, robust immunity and protection against the future risk of hospitalization and death. And what we're learning is that with the vaccine, the same is not true.
2: So uh, it seems to hinge on um, developing antibodies to something called a nucleocapsid protein. Can you explain what that means?
10: Right. So the nucleocapsid is the ball of the virus. The spike protein are the spines on the surface of the virus. Uh, In total, there's about 15 or so antigens or proteins that the human body reacts to and forms antibodies once there's an infection. That was shown in a paper by Hakeem and colleagues So when we get the natural infection, we get a very robust antibody response and we get full T-cell and natural killer cell response in the sinuses and the nose. With the vaccine, all we get is a limited uh, library of antibodies against the spike protein only, nothing against nucleocapsid and very little uh, protection in the sinuses, if any.
2: So uh, in other words, vaccinated people aren't gaining antibodies to the entire coronavirus People that have uh, even a mild exposure or a mild infection, they get, they get complete, um, they get a complete immune response to the entire infection, the coronavirus. Is that right?
10: Now, that's correct. Now, in a paper from Qatar in the New England Journal of Medicine, if someone previously had wild type through Delta, they had about 60 percent protection against Omicron. You still could get it. But uh, if someone got Omicron as as a second infection, it was mild, uh, basically negligible risk of hospitalization and death. The same is not true with vaccines now. Now we have data from Walgreens uh, in the United States that has a tracker. The more shots that are taken, the higher the risk of being positive. And now data out of Canada Multiple analyses show that the more shots that are taken, higher chances of ending up in the hospital and dying. This should
2: be case closed then, shouldn't it? I I mean, I ask that somewhat facetiously, but it should be.
10: It should be. The report that you're indicating is a bit disturbing in that once someone takes the vaccines, the immune system appears to be distracted by the genetic uh, uh, material in the body and the residual spike protein. It doesn't develop a robust Response: Once you actually get the infection in a vaccinated person, you don't get the same robust response as opposed to someone who's vaccine naive.
2: With the, uh, the Omicron variant, um, if you're unvaccinated and you've had uh, a prior
1: infection, are you immune from Omicron? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? Is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.
10: If you've had a prior infection, like I say, data from Qatar, they did a pretty good job analyzing this. There's about 60% protection. Most people who had previously had COVID did not get Omicron, but some people did. Now, it was clear in the CDC communication to American doctors December 10th, 2021 79% of all Omicron was in the fully vaccinated.
2: 70% of all Omicron was in the fully vaccinated and meaning two shots in a booster.
10: Yeah, meaning meaning the definition uh, within six months of the last shot. But it was clear the vaccines had failed wholesale on Omicron. And that's what we're seeing in countries like Canada across the world.
2: Uh, I, I don't know if you, you can respond to this, um, but we're now we're hearing incidents of, uh, of monkeypox. And uh, they're using these advertisements. I've seen them on social media. Uh, and they're using the same photographs as someone who's had shingles. Are, is monkeypox and sh- you know are we confusing these two? Are people showing up with shingles and they're being diagnosed with monkeypox? Is that is that even possible?
10: You know, there appears to be a lot of planning in in monkeypox. Uh, there was a paper published by Simpson, another one by Beer in 2019, planning for a monkeypox. Uh, basically outbreak in the United States. And then in March of 2021, the uh, Nuclear Threat Initiative, NTI, uh, combined with the Munich Security Conference, in March of 2021 planned out a tabletop exercise of a monkeypox outbreak uh, that would affect the world, actually be a big deal, and the release date was March 15th, just seven days before the World Health Organization 2022 meeting. It almost seemed contrived. And you're right. Some of these pictures, at least four sets that I've seen, are actually just re reiterations of prior old pictures of monkeypox. Now, we're told there are confirmed cases Uh, In the world, what you need to know is those over age 50 who've had smallpox vaccine, they have protection against monkeypox. It's not an issue The the transmission is by close facial uh, salivary sexual contact or actually uh, the blisters, which are very obvious. A case in Dallas was just published. April of 2022, man traveled from uh, Africa. was in Atlanta, Dallas, had tons of contacts, finally hospitalized here in Dallas, easily treated with the FDA approved T pox medicine, which works fine. And you know what? No spread. He didn't spread it to a single person. And in the United States, even with our outbreak that occurred in 2003, no American deaths with monkeypox.
2: Ah, all right. So, not a whole lot to be concerned about, it doesn't sound like.
10: How do we listen to the McCullough Report podcast? You can go to America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report. Also, check out my new book, uh, Courage to Face COVID-19, uh, Preventing Hospitalizations and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex, available on Amazon. Just came out. It's in the top number one book in viral diseases, communicable diseases, and organized crime. Oh,
2: fantastic. All right, uh, Dr. McCullough, thank you as always. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, when we come back, the homeschool advisor and uh, Ruth will be here to announce uh, the launch of a new Freedom Short Story contest. Stay with us.
8: Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Tuesdays,
2: we talk homeschooling, and uh, Ruth Gaskowski is an experienced homeschooling parent and uh, the founder of HumanitasFamily.net, HumanitasFamily.net, which is just chock full of uh, resources for prospective uh, homeschoolers and and, uh, parents who are already homeschooling their children. Ruth, welcome back. How are you?
7: Very good, Richard. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, this is exciting. You've launched a, uh, a brand new Freedom Short Story Contest. Tell me a little bit about it.
7: Okay. Yeah. Well, it says it in its name. So the Freedom Short Story Contest was launched just yesterday, and it'll run between Victoria Day and Canada Day. And it's directed at young students who live in Canada in two age categories. So between 9 and 12 and 13 and 16 And it gives them an opportunity to write creatively about freedom in a short story genre. And it can take on a variety of forms. So, for example, it could be freedom in schooling, freedom in friendships, freedom in daily life, freedom in relation to mandates or freedom in traveling and so on. And the stories can be based on fact or fiction. And... So freedom has been kind of the focus of much discussion in the media and by adults, but we haven't really heard much from kids. And so the contest is an opportunity for them to kind of share some thoughts. But it is not an essay writing format on purpose because it doesn't aim to prove a particular argument, but it provides students just an opportunity to write about freedom through stories.
2: Ah, wonderful! And um, how how long does is there like a minimum uh, word count or
7: a minimum is seven hundred and fifty, and maximum is a thousand five hundred.
2: All right, and, and is, which is, is is the contest open uh, to all students or just homeschooling students?
7: All students. The only requirement is that they reside in Canada.
2: Right. Okay. And um, so, what uh, what prompted you to to set up this contest?
7: There was actually a couple of catalysts. It came together very quickly. And uh, the first thing that prompted me was um, in our homeschooling community and friend community in general, we have quite a few children who love to write creatively and would like to share their work or submit it to contests. But often their writing doesn't really reflect, let's say, the current topical trends. So one example was uh, from a grade 10 students who we know that was asked by her public school teacher to write about something that made her angry. So this student chose to write about how the mainstream media coverage of the Freedom Convoy made her angry. Now, the teacher accepted the essay, but let her know clearly that she did not approve of her topic choice. Really? Wow. So um, we, uh, it's, it's, it's clear that, you know, maybe children do want to say certain things, but don't know how will it be received. So this will kind of, you know, give them a, a kind of a new palette to uh, write with. But I think one of the second reasons and a really important one is to provide a means for students to write in, about freedom in a short story form. On purpose, we didn't make it an essay writing contest because it's not about proving a point or kind of provoking a certain reaction, as seemed to have happened with a public school teacher. But I think stories are about expression and character and plot and dialogue. And as my husband points out, it's about dealing with complexities And I think stories kind of move us into a less political, kind of more human and creative space. And they might allow for a conversation between two sides that are clearly failing to understand each other.
2: Excellent points. Hard to believe we've arrived at a point in history where freedom is somehow it's controversial you see people you know disparaging the word freedom and referring it to as to it as freedom d-u-m-b uh, and that anyone who uh you know is advocating or celebrating freedom is somehow being selfish that's where we're at these days
7: well not only that richard but you know what i advertised this contest yesterday on the ontario reddit and i got permanently banned for advertising this contest, and it was uh, noted that um, it was incredible that we were trying to indoctrinate our children into these right-wing ideologies, and all I mentioned was freedom.
3: Oh, so my we're Lord.
7: clearly somewhere else.
2: <laughs> you were banned from Reddit permanently for advocating, or not advocating, af- just advertising a short story contest celebrating freedom, and that's considered yeah, so a right Yeah, on the Ontario
7: Reddit, on, on that subreddit, yeah. Oh, Lord, it's
2: even worse than I thought, Ruth um so there's uh, some something particularly unique about the uh, the awards for the short story contest what, what What can the winners expect
7: Yeah, I think this might just be the most unique uh kind of award at least in the literary field because in the spirit of freedom, the prize money will be paid in one ounce point nine 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 silver coins oh, I love it um. I know, I know. So when we started uh, to gather support for the awards, ICG Bullion generously donated all prize money for both age categories in silver coins. So the first prize winners will get four silver coins, the second three silver coins, and the third place will get two silver coins. And they are beautiful. Um, Some of them have a panda bear or kangaroo or maple leaf and Right now, each of these coins is worth just over $28. But um, as uh, my friend uh, at ICG pointed out, that it's kind of a very concrete way to draw attention to the true value of silver because silver uh, is not losing value, but it's actually expected just this year to jump by 13%. And so, if the students hold on to these coins, by 2030, it's expected that they'll be worth almost $80 each. So, it's a good investment for them as well.
2: Uh, and uh, we should mention that the the, uh, the sponsor for the award again is ICG Bullion.
7: That's right. Yeah.
2: Okay. Do we have a website for them, ICG Bullion?
7: Uh, um. Do you know what? I have the link on my website, and I think okay. it's just ICGBullion.com.
2: All right. Terrific. Well, um, cre- uh, kudos to ICG Bullion to stepping up and, and kudos to you, Ruth, for putting on this uh, freedom short story contest. So how do people enter? Give us the particulars.
7: Yeah. So in order to enter, I would just suggest go to the website where you get all the specific submission details. But all people will do is to send their short story kind of in the body of an email to the Freedom Short Story Contest at ProtonMail.com, but I recommend go to HumanitasFamily.net and click on the contest details, and the students have one month to work on the stories, and it just needs to be submitted by midnight uh, on Canada Day.
2: And uh, uh, who's
10: judging?
7: Uh, we will have a panel of judges, uh, and the stories will be judged on the basis of creative expression, storytelling, and language use.
2: Fantastic. The Freedom Short Story Contest canceled on uh, Ontario Reddit. That's a badge of honor. Uh, Ruth, congratulations. Well done. People can go to humanitasfamily.net. That's, it's spelled like human, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S, humanitasfamily.net. And, uh, again, the Freedom Short Story Contest. Congratulations, Ruth. Well done.
7: Thanks very much.
2: All right. Our two awaits. Brad Skistimus, a.k.a. Five Times August, will be here to, uh, perform his new single, Fight for You. And, uh, also, Sheila Gunn-Reed will be here, host of The Gun Show on Rebel News. And she'll say, or she'll tell us why, uh... Vaccine mandates aren't going away anytime soon. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
4: Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going
5: Not only to win the battle, but to win the war.
6: I'm not we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for
2: himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The
6: whole trial is out of order! You have meddled the primal
3: forces of nature! And you...
2: Welcome to Hour 2, and if you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but still, plenty of great show to come. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here towards the tail end of the program. Henry Kissinger, what is he, about 138 now? He's over at the World Economic Forum annual conference and um, was quoted as uh, saying, basically, the, uh, the West has to bully Ukraine into accepting some sort of territorial concessions in order to uh, to end this war with Russia. So we'll get the uh, good lieutenant colonel uh, his comments on that. Uh, I'll revisit an earlier conversation from last week with conservative leadership hopeful Roman Babber. Who uh, recently said one of his first orders of business, if he first becomes leader of the conservative party and then second becomes prime minister, the first thing he'll do on day one. Fire Dr. Teresa Tam. There we go. A little bit of applause. That's not an official endorsement of Roman Baber, uh, but I, I like uh, I like what he's saying in that regard. Sheila Gunn Reed from Rebel News will be here. You know, Ezra Levant, founder of Rebel News, was just on uh last week and uh to announce that he was sending over this crack team of i believe now six journalists he sent over to uh or rebel news sent over to uh, davos to cover the world economic forum sheila not among them which is a shame because she's just like you know she gets in there she's like a pit bull on a pork loin uh she would be terrific over there but we're delighted that she's going to be here uh and uh to talk about vaccine mandates and uh, why she feels, well, she's got a hundred million reasons why they're not going away anytime soon. Sheila Gunn, host of The Gun Show on Rebel News, her uh, seen Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right. Not to be confused with traffics on the five, or traffic on the fives, rather. Uh, five Times August, Brad schistemus joins us now and uh, always a delight to visit with this talented singer songwriter performer who hails from the great state of texas hey brad welcome back how are you my friend
5: hey richard good to be back great to have you what have you been up to lately writing as usual i know uh yeah i've got my hands in a few different projects right now but um at the forefront of all that it's always just uh, my original work and the songs that i've been putting out over the last year and um that's kind of the primary focus of everything. This
2: next, this uh, new one is called Fight for You. When did this came out? Like just a week ago, didn't
5: it? Yeah, I think it did. Um, I wrote it, uh, I guess, a month ago or so. And uh, I wrote it on a Wednesday. We flew out to California on uh that Friday and performed it live in front of an audience for uh, defeat the mandates in Los Angeles that Sunday. So I'd never really written a song that fast and then performed it for people, uh, to that large of an audience. I think there's about 10 to 15,000 people at the show and, and, um, there were vaccine injured standing behind me, which I did not expect them to, uh, to orchestrate, which put a lot of pressure on the, the debut performance of the song, but, um, it meant a lot and is very special. And then, um, and then the song finally came out last week with um, uh, some incredible artwork done by Bob Moran, who's done some great illustrations depicting the times over the last year. I, I reached out to him, and he was willing to do uh, to draw an illustration for the cover art, which was just uh, tremendous.
2: And again, this is called Fight For You, and this is kind of um, uh, an homage or uh, a, um, a battle cry for parents to stand up for their children. Uh, I guess not only when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, vaccine mandates and, and things, but just, I guess, whatever, what, everything else that's happening with the culture.
5: Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's just a, you know, there's a serious war going on for our kids, it feels like, whether it is vaccine mandates or or, or whatever it may be. Um, it's It seems to be one thing after another. Um, and, and that's kind of, I just, I've been wanting to write a song for, parents i'm a parent and i've got three kids and um i've been wanting to write a song like this for a while and it, and it finally came out and so all right let's uh, let's hear it fight for you oh, okay. five times august
6: through the madness and the last as they're holding back the truth No matter what they try, I will always fight for you. I will save your innocence. They are trying to remove. I am here at your defense, and I will always fight for you. I will always fight for you i will stand here in the way and i will not give up on you i will shield you from the pain in the battle on the field there is evil on the move But I hope that you can feel That I will always fight for you In the darkness of the times There's a light that shines the proof It'll soon reveal the crime So I won't stop the fight for you Yes, I will always fight for you, I will brave every attack, and I will not give up on you, I will always have your back. So to every single mother, father, stand up for your sons and Daughters, Do not back down. Don't let up. You are all they have for armor. So make this a war to win. Look in their eyes and tell them that I will always fight for you. I will stand guard at the gate. And I will not give up on you. I will stop each shot they take Yes, I will always fight for you I will always fight for you
2: There you go. Five Times August, a.k.a. Bradley Schismus. Great job, Brad. Uh, how do we um, how do we buy the song and how do we support your work?
5: The songs out there on Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music and Bandcamp. And uh, you can watch the lyric video on YouTube. And uh, you can also visit five times dot com to listen to all the other music that I've put out over the last year.
2: Oh, it's a it's a beautiful song, inspiring and almost feel, I almost feel like it should be my theme song. I fight for you. It's it's terrific. It's anthemic, as so many of your songs have been. This must be. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is this the most prolific period as a songwriter these last you know two years, year and a half in your in your career?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a whole other realm of songwriting. It's a whole other toolbox of lyrics and emotions that I had never would have tapped into. It's sort of the great silver lining for me personally after going through the last two years is that all these songs have come out and it's, it's a weird, weird balance because it's a shame that the songs have to be written. But at the same time, um, you know, it's sort of a spiritual partnership. I feel like I've, and uh, it's words and music that I feel like have channeled through me from another dimension in a sense that, that, i you know, I'm saying things that other people can't really express themselves. So I feel lucky to be that, that kind of voice in this time.
2: Yeah. And we're, and we're lucky to have you. I think you were, if I may say, I think you were born uh, to be here at this moment, chronicling what's happening and singing these songs and writing these songs and inspiring uh, so many people. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you, Richard. Brad Skistamus, a.k.a. Five Times August. Beautiful song, Fight For You. All right. When we come back, the mighty Sheila Gunn-Reed from Rebel News will be here uh, to tell you 100 million reasons why vaccine mandates aren't going away. Stay tuned.
8: Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back.
2: That was such a pretty song from Five Times August, Fight For You. I always appreciate when uh, the artist Five Times August, known as Bradley Schistimus, joins us from Dallas, Texas with a new song. All right. uh, This is not great news, I suppose.
1: Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing?
2: Sheila Gunwright is correct, uh, but we'll find out. She, um, of course, host of the Gun Show, seen on Rebel News at uh, Wednesdays at nine p.m. Eastern, and she says there are about a hundred million reasons why vaccine mandates aren't going away. Sheila, welcome back to the program. How are you?
0: I'm great, Richard. Thanks for having me on the show again.
2: My pleasure. I was saying earlier, you know, um, uh, I, I had uh, Ezra on last week talking about sending six journalists over to uh, Davos to cover the WEF. And I thought you would be so great over there, but we're glad in a way that you're not there because we can have you on the program here. Um, so why are why are there 100 million reasons why vaccine mandates aren't going away?
0: Actually, I think it's more like 182 million over the course of two years. Hmm. Uh in 2022, we, uh, we as in the Canadian government, are scheduled to purchase another 100 million vaccine doses for our 37 million person population. That's every man, woman and child, infant, elderly. But also in 2023, it's another 82 million doses. And that is on top of the 125 million doses of vaccines already purchased and not quite doled out from 2021. So it's 182 million over the next two years on top of a previous 125 million. So what is that? 400 million? 300 million? 400 million?
2: Over three years
0: over three years in a population of 37 million. this To me, that is indicative of a government that is hell-bent on enforcing vaccine mandates, but not just vaccine mandates, of proof of vaccination, double doses. This is get on the booster ride forever and don't get off because what are we supposed to do with over... I think that works out to about 11 doses per Canadian.
2: Um, Yeah, I I can't do the math right away in my head, but that seems about right. 36 million into 400 million. Uh, Yeah, that's 11, around 11 doses per. So in other words, they have to, the the federal government now feels compelled. They've already spent the money. They're on the hook for these, whether the vaccines are used or not, they have to purchase them from Pfizer or Moderna. And um, so in order to coerce people, into taking the vaccines, they're going to keep these mandates on. They're going to try and break us, right? Those of us that are vaccine-free, they have to try and break us. Otherwise, the vaccines will just spoil and we'll, we'll have to be thrown out.
0: Well, that's the thing. These things are perishable. They only have a certain amount of shelf life, and they have to be stored at a ridiculously cold temperature. They have to be used. And there's only one way to make the public consume a vaccine they don't want, And that is to make it absolutely unlivable if you don't take this vaccine. We know that vaccine efficacy wanes. We know that Canadians are changing their viewpoints, by and large, about vaccines. Even the vaccinated are saying, look, I got my two doses, I still got COVID, I'm done here. So they're having a real problem with the vaccine uptake on the mm-hmm. boosters. The government knows this. There's only one way forward, and that is to continue to move what it means to be fully vaccinated. I know in some federal departments, they are already evaluating what it means to be fully vaccinated. They're considering now that double dose is not enough. It has to be uh, a booster. And already uh, some departments are musing about a fourth dose. And we really don't have to look any further than the world economic forum to see that. um, But, you know, it's a good indicator of where the Canadian government is going moving forward, even though Switzerland doesn't have a vaccine mandate in the town of Davos, but not to partake in anything outside of the world economic forum and in Davos, but to attend any of the world economic forum meetings or any of their pavilions Not only do you have to have two doses, you have to have a third dose and any of your doses cannot have been the Russian Sputnik dose because somehow politics is tracing the efficacy there. Um, And since the World Economic Forum this year is explicitly anti-Russia, you can't qualify as double vaccinated if you, or I guess at this point, triple vaccinated, if you've received a dose of the Sputnik vaccine. And for me, that, None of the global elites in the world think that there's anything wrong with that. And Justin Trudeau loves to follow the leader. So don't think for a second that that sort of um, ridiculous policy isn't going to remain in place um, in Canada for federally regulated and federal industries.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to get into the, uh, the, the meetings at Davos, you got to prove that you uh, that you're part of the cult. So you have to have two plus the booster. So 400 million doses ordered by Canada. Taxpayers are on the hook for that. Uh, and so the, uh, the federal liberals want to make our, uh, the vaccine free, our lives as miserable as possible in order to break us. But I don't, I don't know that it's going to work. Uh, we've had seven months of this vaccine mandate for travel. And as you say, re up or the uptake rate, uh, for the boosters is not, is not going very well. Um, so I guess it's just going to be kind of a, a game of chicken here, Sheila.
0: Yeah, I really think so. And what we know about the people who have not complied with the vaccine mandates and who have readjusted their lives to deal with the new normal of government tyranny is that those people cannot be broken. They cannot be baited. They cannot be manipulated. These are the uh, ethical people of our society and what I find really troubling is normally these people would be the kind of folks we want in positions of power working for the police working um, in the federal bureaucracy but because of the vaccine mandates those people who did not break in their own ethics they're the ones being chased out of work uh, which frightens me for the trouble or for the problems I see or foresee in Canada's public institutions, in policing, in the military, in the federal bureaucracy, because all the moral objectors will have been run out of the shop, leaving only the compliant and the easily manipulated.
2: Excellent point. A frightening point as well. Sheila, thank you so much for this.
0: Thanks for having me on the show, Richard.
2: Sheila Gunn-Reed and The Gun Show, Wednesdays at 9pm, rebelnews.com. All right. When we come back, I'll uh, revisit an earlier conversation with conservative leadership hopeful Roman
8: Babber. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Hey, welcome
2: back. Uh, just ahead of um, my conversation, previously recorded conversation with conservative leadership hopeful Roman Babber, uh, I just wanted to share something with you. I mean, she may be the, truly, one of the dimmest people on television, Whoopi Goldberg, and that's saying a lot. Well, it's let's—it's a tie for the gold medal of idiots in the idiot Olympics over there at the View. A tie with Joy Behar, of course. I mean, the women on that show are so dumb, they spew such Titanic ignorance. Uh, the View—that TV show—could come on the TV, and you could be standing in another room, and all you have to do is just hear hear it. Catch a glimpse of it and you'll automatically lose 10 IQ points. That show should be labeled as toxic waste. Anyway, here's Whoopi Goldberg with more stupid falling from her mouth like rain.
7: Welcome to the view,
5: y'all. The abortion rights battle is starting to blur the lines between church and state. The Archbishop of San Francisco... Mm. It's calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament.
6: This is not your job, dude. <laughs> that
5: is not you can't. That is not up to you to make that decision. You know, what is the saying? It's kind of amazing. Uh, but, you know what is the point of communion right it's for uh sinners it's the for the for sinners it's the reward of saints but the bread of sinners how dare you how dare you that is if pope francis says that that's the issue but i
2: mean that is quite literally the archbishop's job the catholic church opposes abortion as a matter of doctrine so it's quite literally the archbishop's place to deny Nancy Pelosi communion. If she wants to take communion, she can go to confession. She can repent and reform herself, or she can quit the Catholic church. There are lots of churches, unfortunately, out there who condone abortion, even churches who celebrate abortion, who treat it like a sacrament. I don't know. Maybe check out the Church of Satan, Nancy Pelosi. I hear they're looking for new members. All right. Um, Roman Babber, Ontario uh, independent MPP, was kicked out of the PC caucus and um, now running for the leadership of the Federal Conservative Party. And uh, I think he's actually acquitted himself quite admirably on the debate stage. Recently, uh, he caused a bit of a stir i commend him for these statements he he said his first order of business if he be, were to become prime minister would be to fire dr theresa tam of course canada's number one uh health official and uh he's going to play a a conversation from uh earlier or last week actually wednesday i had a moment to uh, or a few moments to speak with roman babber here's how that sounded we are joined by roman babber roman welcome how are you
4: I'm good. Good to be with you, Richard. Likewise.
2: Uh, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to start off with a question. I'm asking all of the candidates this uh, this question. I asked Leslie Lewis when she was on um, a couple of weeks ago. And that is uh, just, it's not a gotcha question. Uh, I'm going to ask you, what is your
4: definition of a woman? Look, um, I'm not sure that... Um I'm not sure that I can give you an answer offhand. Um, I I guess that there is a physiological, a biological definition, but uh, I'm certainly um, respectful of the fact that people make different choices and, and lead different lifestyles. And I don't think that government has any business in that either. Okay, fair enough.
2: Uh, I want to move along now and ask you, where would, for people not familiar with, with uh, who you are and where you stand on the issues, how would you differentiate yourself, let's say, from uh, a Jean Charest, a
4: Pierre Polyev, or a Lesley Lewis? Well, um, your listeners may know that a, about a year and a half ago, I was removed from the Doug Ford caucus uh, for opposing the lockdowns. I believe that we needed to bring some public health, some some balance to our public health response. And even though um, COVID is a serious infection, we should um, entertain some balance and appreciate that there's a harm to lockdowns as well. Uh, Since then, I've been advocating um, for a measured response against passports and mandates. And um, I guess led the sensible charge uh, against some of them. Uh, onerous restrictions. Sorry, go ahead. Um, Another differentiating factor is um, I'm I'm not a career politician. I practiced law for about 12 years before I was elected. And uh, I've built a brand for um, saying what I believe and doing what I believe is right, even when it's unpopular. All
2: right. Um, I want to ask you, because speaking of COVID and and one of the things that you announced recently was if you were uh, were to become conservative leader and then ultimately elected prime
4: minister, you would fire Dr. Theresa Tam. Give me your, your thoughts on that. I would. Go ahead. Well, look, uh, we know that the public health response resulted in a catastrophe for many Canadians. In Ontario alone, we had more than a million cancer screenings missed. We had more than 300,000 surgeries delayed. Uh, We've been subjected to a mental health pandemic. And, um, of course, um, we we saw in the Star, for instance, yesterday that um, small business bankruptcy in Canada is drastically rising. So uh, my view is that we had to take a more holistic view on health and appreciate that public health's response, in fact, uh, was significantly worse to our health than originally thought.
2: Alright, uh, Roman, if you could stay with us for another segment we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, we'll talk some more. Roman Babber is a candidate for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada back to more of our conversation right after these.
8: Just having a little wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Roman
2: Baber is with us, conservative leadership candidate. And, uh, Roman, a lot of, uh, well, Pierre Polyev and Leslie Lewis are talking about, you know, freedom. Pierre Polyev in particular, trying to make Canada the freest country on on Earth. You have a rather unique perspective, having been born and and spending the first eight or nine years of your life in the Soviet Union, a communist country. Talk to my listeners about how that experience, growing up in a communist country, Um, sort of shapes your your views of where we're at in Canada right now in terms of our freedoms and where you would like to take this country?
4: Sure. So um, I was born in the former Soviet Union. We didn't leave there until I was nine. And I remember very clearly some examples of of um, fear, prevailing fear that my family experienced uh, due to lack of freedoms in the Soviet Union. For instance, I was taught as a child not to use the word America in school because that may arouse suspicion and, and have the principal invite the KGB um, to to determine who is this parent that's teaching uh, a kid about America. Where I remember my grandpa had a, a Jewish prayer book as a door. and I understood that if, if someone was to find out that, that we have such a book in our possession, then grandpa may Go to a labor camp. So I have a very unique perspective on how precious and tenuous Canada's democracy is. And we're seeing an unprecedented erosion of Canada's democracy, be it uh, descend the prevailing censorship. There's censorship legislation making its way through parliament um, or Close to 20% of Canadians are still treated like second-class citizens and are unable to board public transportation. We see an unlawful declaration of the Emergencies Act that doesn't meet the, the standard articulated in the legislation. And um, seizure of bank accounts without a court order, something that would be unprecedented in Canada. And, and this is something that I'm very much determined to override and, and to re- to end.
2: All right. I want to get your comments on... Um... Uh, Patrick Brown, another candidate for the conservative leadership, uh, going after Pierre Polyev and making this strange, trying to make this very strange connection between Pierre Polyev's support for the, uh, the Freedom Convoy, linking that to this character, Pat King and white replacement theory, and then linking all of that to this horrible shooting tragedy. In, in Buffalo, uh, I mean, you're also you've been uh, you know a vocal supporter of the the aspirations of the Freedom Convoy. He, he could have very well have gone after you. Talk to me about the, the sort of the tone of this of this leadership campaign, where it's going, and how perhaps damaging Patrick Brown's comments might be.
4: I'm not sure I understand Patrick's comments, and uh, I'll let him uh, explain it for himself. I certainly uh, regret very much the events in Buffalo, and my heart goes out to the families. But it's no secret that I'm a big supporter of the Freedom Convoy. Um, I believe that everything the Prime Minister said about the pre- Freedom Convoy was false. There were no weapons anywhere near the site. The um, weapon, there were no. Uh, weapons near the site the arson was not connected there was no foreign funding very little foreign donations and there was no foreign collusion uh unlike the prime minister or some of his cabinet ministers seem to have alleged um at the same time we saw that as the government was breaking the rule of law on february the 18th uh the protesters remained peaceful uh there was no aggression towards the police and and so on that day we saw this was a truly peaceful movement
1: is running out this message is paid for by lines for fair and equitable policy
2: all right i just uh, a couple of quick items maybe just get a, a kind of a rapid fire response from you first of all uh cbc would you defund
4: or just reform I would defund. There is no uh, freedom of speech uh, and without free and independent media. And free and independent media is a cornerstone of Canada's democracy, and of any democracy. But how can you have democracy when the government signs the media's paycheck? I would not just defund the CBC. I would end all bailouts. I would end all subsidies to the media. And I would also look at the way and limit the way that... Government can advertise on the news media, as this is something that will seem to be very prevalent in the last couple of years. We must end all interdependence by media on government.
2: Uh, in the next few days, uh, Trude- or Justin Trudeau <laughs> Justin Trudeau, is expected to, uh, to travel to Geneva and sign on to this uh, the World Health Organization pandemic treaty. Are you concerned about that? Should we be concerned about it? What would you do if you were Prime Minister?
4: Uh, I'm not sure that they're entering into the treaty this Thursday. Um, I think it's a consultation process that they're entering into. Nonetheless, I'm very concerned by the proposed pandemic response that the WHO had on the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and, and certainly it did not follow any of our pandemic response planning uh, that in retrospect probably would have served us better than inflicting the harm we have on Canadians in the last couple of years. Um, I would uh, What I would propose we do uh, if we're faced again with a pandemic is entertain opinion because there was a a variety of doctors, a good amount of doctors that opposed the prevailing narrative. They were silenced. Uh, Generally, the profession was was bullied and and threatened into silence, and and that, in my view, prevented a proper evaluation of of the best way to respond, and that in turn resulted in a disastrous public policy.
2: Uh, how would you deal with inflation as
4: prime minister what can be done at the at the federal government level so first of all we have to be frank about inflation and it's not just the printing of half a trillion dollars um in the last two years but also lockdown something that none of my opponents um are willing to discuss we have uh, stopped the global supply chain at its tracks a couple of times and then restarted demand very quickly. So basically demand is not catching up to supplies. We're missing parts, we're missing precious metals, we're missing elements everywhere. And so the best thing we can do is provide the market with some certainty. Of course, we have to stop printing and live within our means. I will limit uh, government spending to uh, increases in spending to the rate of inflation, and finally, um, I think what we probably need to do is figure out a way to make life more, more affordable for Canadians, and I will do that by repealing the carbon tax, and I will do so by having uh, for an income tax cut across the board that I will pay by ending equalization payments between the provinces.
2: Uh, Would you commit to making Canada energy independent? Would you use the powers within the Constitution to complete
4: uh, pipeline projects? I don't think we constitutional powers for that, but I'm determined to turn Canada into a natural resources superpower. I think that Canada's natural resources are a blessing, and I'm not going to let oil and gas be cancelled. Uh, it's good for our strategic interests, our economic bottom line, and it's also good for the planet, because Canadians can derive energy cleaner and safer than any other nation in the world. Um, and so, yes, I will repeal the anti-pipeline bill, uh, we can uh, strike the right balance between respecting stakeholders and the environment, but at the same time ensuring that Canada is not just energy independent, but in my view should become uh, the natural energy superpower, sorry, natural resources superpower that we ought to be.
2: Uh, I'm just going to give you the, the last minute to uh, to talk about whatever you'd like to talk about, something that maybe I haven't asked you that you think is important.
4: Go ahead. Look, um, I, I appreciate that um, there are a number of candidates that share my views on in this leadership. I, I guess what I bring to the front is that over the last two years, I've shown courage and leadership to stand up for Canadians when it was unpopular. I was essentially the only mainstream politician that opposed Doug Ford, that opposed uh, any government on on the issue of lockdowns. I fought for Canadians against mandates and passports before it became popular, before the truckers came to town. I brought legislation to protect workers against mandates. I sued the Attorney General for our ability to congregate, pray, and and protest outside. I brought legislation to cut uh, MPP pay to Serb levels until the emergency um, orders are gone. and even if folks may disagree with me sometimes, they will always know where I stand. And at a time when trust in government and, and politics generally is eroded, um, I hope that uh, I can bring a sense of reliability and trust to Canadians that they desire right now.
2: Roman, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. Roman Baber, Conservative Leadership Candidate.
4: Let's rejoin the
8: conversation on the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. Ninety eight year
2: old Henry Kissinger, not surprisingly, is uh, attending the World Economic Forum annual uh, shindig. And uh, he says that Ukraine must be made to cede territory to Russia. In the uh, in the greater interest of European security, world peace. Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, Airborne Ranger, retired infantry officer, author of uh, Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil and Progressive Evil. Let's get his thoughts. Bob, how are you?
11: I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me today.
2: Were you uh, at all surprised by Henry Kissinger's statements that uh, if need be, he, he almost suggested that The West should bully Ukraine into uh, into giving up any territorial um, ambitions, you know, reclaiming Crimea or anything like that?
11: Yeah, I think uh, the 98 year old Kissinger, you know, has been too close to Putin over the years. And I always remember Kissinger is the one that persuaded Richard Nixon in 1972 to welcome Beijing into the world of the international community. And uh, that hasn't I don't believe gone all that well and so i i sort of at this point uh, begin to question some of what mr kissinger is you know suggesting here you know it, the the russians are you know bullies uh they're not what they used to be uh, when they were a former soviet union just to consider you know that uh, their economy is in the tank uh, their military has proven not to be all that well not effective uh clearly they have 6300 plus nuclear weapons but that doesn't necessarily mean you know that th- that the right thing to do at this point is to force zelensky to abandon hopes of reuniting his country especially the donbass and the crimea uh and just surrendering that over to putin who will in all probability continue if given the opportunity what he's been doing in the in the past he's a bar- barbarian And, uh, you know, if Kissinger thinks this is about giving him a face saving opportunity, uh, I can understand that perhaps uh, if you want to stop the hostilities. But, um, you know, I don't tend to agree with Mr. Kissinger in this vein. So
2: do you do you believe that that Ukraine has uh, within its potential to to retake Crimea?
11: Well, a lot depends upon whether or not the the West continues to back the Ukrainians. You know, I don't think anyone four months ago would have thought that the Ukrainians were going to destroy a thousand Russian tanks, kill 25,000 plus Russian soldiers, and uh, really put the the Russian military on its heels. Uh, I don't dismiss that outright. However, I do believe uh, that that would be a red line for Putin. And likely, you know, his talk of nuclear nuclear release against uh, the West, yeah, that might prompt it. So, you know, all those, Zelensky at this point says he wants all of Ukraine back. Um, and of course, Kissinger is suggesting we ought to go to a status quo ante, basically, you know, let the Russians keep Donbass and the Crimea and be satisfied with the balance of, of uh, Ukraine. Uh, we'll have to wait and see um you know i I think if the West were to pull out at this point, you know stop sending in stingers and javelins and artillery uh you know, and the like, then uh likely that uh, this war would begin to slow down, but I don't see at this point that you know, Mr. Zelensky's in the mood to compromise uh
2: I think Kissinger had one good point, and that is that. Russia has been an essential part of Europe for 400 years. And in some respect, it's been the guarantor of the European balance of power structure at various, you know, critical times in history. Uh, and so he's cautioning European leaders not to lose sight of that longer term relationship. What are your thoughts?
11: Yeah, you know, I, I agree that, you know, historically it has been a a kind of a counterbalance he also suggested that ukraine should become like finland well we know what finland has recently done because of uh, the russian bear and that is to seek nato membership uh it's possible that uh i know early on in the negotiations behind the scenes that you know there was discussion about a, a neutral ukraine not allowing nato in and, of course, uh, much less the the strategic weapons. Um, you know, Mr. Kissinger, however, I think you know, puts too much uh, credit uh, on the Russian part. You know, he also argues that, you know, further uh, of this proxy war that is ongoing in Ukraine uh, will push the Russians into the arms of the Chinese. Now, that's quite possible because the last day or so we've seen you know, Russian Tu-95s and JL-10s along with Chinese H-6 all bombers, you know, flying around the the Sea of Japan and East China Sea as the uh, Quad Summit took place in Tokyo. So, you know, they're already cozy. Uh, they, of course, on the 4th of February, Putin and Xi met in Beijing right before the Olympics and, you know, agreed to be, you know, closer in their relationship. So, uh, it may well be that we've already established that the authoritarian uh, alliance of China and Russia is is fairly well cemented and that this proxy war that's taking place in Ukraine is probably the beginning of what may be uh, future conflicts. And the future may involve, of course, um, Taiwan and a number of other entities around the world.
2: Lieutenant Colonel. Robert L. McGinnis, U.S. Army retired author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil and Progressive Evil. Uh, Bob, thanks so much for your time, as always.
11: Thanks, Richard. Have a great day.
2: You too. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing. Until tomorrow at four. Don't be late. I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.